As you're turning there, let me say this. I was thinking this morning while we were singing through our songs, uh, I am thankful for our musicians, for our singers, for our choir, for our band. Um, what a blessing that is. And I want to tell you, I believe Christ in heaven is pleased with their efforts. So what an awesome thing that is. Uh, we're going to start today with Revelation chapter 9. People have a problem. Uh, it is an illogical problem. It doesn't make any sense. It is a terrible problem. It causes see, uh, sorrow and, and grief and much suffering. Uh, it is a huge problem in its scope. It impacts all of us. None of us are left untouched by it. People have a problem, and that problem is sin. Now, here's my question this morning. As much trouble and harm and pain and destruction as sin causes, my question is, why do we not leave it? Why do we not run from it? Why don't we hate sin? I think about that. As much trouble as it causes, all the heartache that it causes, why do we not hate sin? That is the most uh, nonsensical, illogical thing ever. Uh, today, I will tell you, as I, as I minister to folks, as I watch the culture that we're in, as, as we exist in this, uh, when I see people and they are told of God's grace, when they're told of God's goodness and his remedy for sin, his remedy for sinners, Jesus, uh, I'm blown away that some people will not repent. And I, I don't understand that, and I see all the heartache, and I see the good news of Christ, and it, it doesn't make any sense to me that some people will not repent and turn to Jesus. I do not understand that. Uh, sometimes I watch folks, and you can see where they're headed, and you can see what the end of it's going to be. And I watch all the heartache, and I watch all the hurt. And as I watch it, I want to tell you, I just want to yell out, how much of that do you want? How much of that do you want? When is enough going to be enough? How much is enough? Today, we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation. Today, we move to the ninth chapter. And today, our message is entitled, The Terrible Tale of a people who did not repent. The terrible tale of a people who did not repent. We're in Revelation chapter 9. It's verses 1 through 21. It's the entirety of the chapter. Revelation chapter 9, the terrible tale of a people who did not repent. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 9, beginning in the first verse, God's word says this. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads 
appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have as a king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One sang to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who have been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and hastened and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as to not worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we're thankful for a risen Savior today. We're thankful for a hope that endures today. We're thankful for the gospel of good news today. Lord, we're thankful for Jesus Lord, I, I pray as we have met, we have, have, have assembled today, uh, that you are pleased, that your name has been lifted up. Lord, I, I pray as we begin to study your word at this time, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to, to receive. And I pray that this ninth chapter, uh, that it is important and that it becomes part of us, that we take it in, that we consume it that we are built up by it, that we are encouraged through it, that we are instructed in its hearing. And I pray for your church that it wouldn't fall upon deaf ears, that it would bear the result that you intend for it to bear. Lord, I pray for some that will hear this message, and maybe they're in this room, maybe they're some other place. Lord, you know who they are. I know that you love them, and I know that your grace is extended to them. And I pray that today any hindrance to their hearing and receiving the gospel would be removed. And I pray that today they would turn to you in faith. Lord, we come and we just submit this hour to you. And we ask that you would use it, that you would multiply it, that you would bless it, that you would be known through it. We give it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Years ago, my granny used to say, well, you're neck deep in it now. 
As a kid, I never knew what that meant. I sometimes would go out and try to figure out what that meant. I never really knew what that meant. But today, as we move into the ninth chapter of the Revelation, I think I understand. Uh, we are neck deep in it now. Uh, the only way out is forward, and so we're just going to keep moving along. Last week, uh, we looked at the eighth chapter. Uh, if you remember at the point that we stopped last week, the Lamb Jesus has broken the seventh and final seal on the scroll that only he is able to open. Uh, as he does that, we find that there are seven angels with seven trumpets. Uh, last week we saw four of those trumpets have sounded and their judgments have been revealed to us uh, through the writing of the recording of John. After the fourth trumpet and its judgment, we ended with an eagle uh, flying in the mid-sky, in the middle of the sky, declaring, woe, woe, woe. It means pain and despair. It says pain and despair, woe to those who are on the earth for the events of the coming uh, next three trumpets. So if you can imagine that, the terrible things that have been unleashed in the first four, uh, this eagle is flying in the air saying the worst is yet to come. It's about to get worse. I'm going to start by reading chapter 8, verse 13. And then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. The worst is still yet to come. That's what he says. That is the warning. And that is where we start back uh, this morning. We're starting back in chapter 9, verse 1. Let's look at it verse by verse. The first verse says this. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Now I want you to see this. John saw a star. Uh, notice the verb tense there. It said, which had fallen. And so this star had already fallen. And it says, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. All right, we're going to get right into it. John sees a star already having fallen. It says the key, understand it is a specific key to the bottomless pit was given to him. Now that uh, word, that phrase bottomless pit, uh, sometimes in some translations it's called an abyss or the abyss. Uh, it actually translates a pit of measureless depth. And so it is literally a bottomless pit. It is a giant abyss, a giant pit. Evidently we see here the entryway to this pit is locked. All right, the first question is, who is the star to whom the key is given? Who is the star to whom the key is given? Now, let me tell you, there's some, there's some uh, difference of opinion here. There's some that say it is an angel, and so this star is an angel that is carrying out God's business. There are some folks that teach that. There are some that say it is a fallen angel, that it is a demon, and so this star was a demon. Uh, I believe it is Satan himself. I believe this is Satan, and I believe given to him is the authority to open up the abyss, to open up the bottomless pits. Now, uh, there are several reasons for that, uh, but one of them is found in Isaiah chapter 14, 
verses 12 through 15. Listen to this. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to shoal to the recesses of the pit. I believe that this is talking about here in Isaiah, the one that is described in our verses today. I believe it is Satan himself. Uh, we're going to see some more, I believe, that will back that up in just a moment. Verse 1 again, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. All right, verse 2. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. In verse 2, he opens the pit. John tells us here, when he does, he sees smoke. It is actual, literal smoke that comes up out of this pit. Uh, he tells us it is so much smoke that it shields and it clouds the light of the sun and the skies are darkened as this occurs. Verse 3. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth and power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. Verse 3 says when the pit is open that locusts came out. They come out of the pit. Uh, there is a lot of discussion here. There is a lot of work done to try and identify these locusts. Now, there are some that would say they are actual locusts. And they have reasons and they go along and say they believe that these coming out are a wave of actual locusts. There are some that say that they are an army of some nation. And they have some other reasons and they say that this is an army that's going to advance from some nation. Uh, understand, I believe these locusts are fallen angels. That's what I believe they are. I believe they are demons that God has locked away. This pit, uh, it is not the lake of fire. We'll see that coming up. But rather, it is a jail of sorts for these uh, evil angels. And so I believe these demons have been locked away in this great abyss. I believe they are described in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Here's what it says. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, evidently not just their own judgment, but for this judgment as well. Notice there in verse 3 it says that they have power like scorpions. And so, in their description, as we try to understand them, they have power like scorpions. Now, I want you to think about that. Uh, I have scorpions at my house. Here's what we know about them. They are not friendly. You do not make pets out of scorpions. I don't know anybody that says, here's my pet scorpion. Uh, here's what they do. They inflict pain and they incite fear. And if you see a scorpion, if you step on a scorpion, if you turn the light, that's what they do. They incite fear and they inflict pain. Well, these locusts, these demons, they have been told to us they have 
the same role. They're going to incite fear in us, and they're going to inflict pain. Verse 3 again. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. Verse 4. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Uh, where regular locusts would have eaten the grass, they would have devoured the green trees. Uh, these locusts, the Bible says, inflict damage on people. They're not concerned with the grass. They're not concerned with the trees, but they inflict damage on people. Those people that are not part of the 144,000 protected Jews. We talked about that two weeks ago. All right, verse 5. And they were not permitted to kill anyone. Listen to this. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Again, here in the fifth verse, there is much speculation as to the meaning of the five months. Now, there are some that say that the five months represents a short time. And so they would say, well, it's just five months. It re reflects a short time. There are others that say that the five months represents a long time. And that, well, it's five months we've got to endure. And so they believe it represents a long time. There are others still that, that believe it represents some symbolic time. And there's many different formulas they have trying to figure out the symbolic time. Well, after much digging, I have decided that it represents five months. That's what I believe. I believe it's talking about five months. Now, that may be a long time. It may be a short time. I don't believe it's a symbolic time. I believe it represents five months. The word here for torment, it means the infliction of acute pain. Now, that is the definition of it. It, it. it means the causation of intense pain. And it gives the example, once again, of a scorpion's sting. Verse 6. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. And they will long to die, and death flees from them. Now, verse 6 is a very revealing verse about the intensity of this suffering. It is going to be horrific. Uh, it is going to be unbearable, so much so that people will give up the desire to live. I want to tell you, I believe built into us naturally is a desire to live. And I don't care what age you are. I don't care generally what is going on in your life. There is something inside of us that has a desire to live. Well, the suffering of these days is going to be so intense that these people will give up their desire to live. They will abandon the hope that an end is in sight. Well, they'll, they'll give up that hope. And to them, death would be a welcome relief. As they live in this pain and suffering, they are going to clamor to die. They are going to seek, they are going to long, is what the Bible says, that death would come and it would free them from their suffering. And yet here's what the Bible says. And death will flee from them. 
And so I want you to picture the magnitude of this suffering. They're there and the suffering is so great. They're saying, oh, that I could just die. Oh, that I could just die and get this over with. Oh, that I could just die. And they will long for death and they will seek for death. And it says they can't have it. They can't reach it. There will be no relief for them. Next, as we continue through the verses, there's a description of these demons, starting in verse 7. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. The crown on their heads signifies that they would be successful in their mission. Their mission is to inflict pain. They will see success in their mission. The faces mean that they are intelligent individuals. They are, they are not some mass that just moves in mass, but they can think. They are thinking individuals. The description goes on, verses 8, 9, and 10. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots and of many horses rushing to battle. So the description goes on, as ugly as they already are, now they have long hair, and their teeth are the vicious teeth as if they were teeth of lions, and they are dressed for battle. They are ready, prepared for battle, and their wings are, are buzzing and rattling, and it sounds like a bunch of rushing horses, a bunch of rushing chariots ready to go in. It says their tails have stings like scorpions, and that is how they're going to hurt people. Verse 10, they have tails like scorpions and stings. And in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. John sees all of that. Now, can you imagine that? Here comes Satan and he unlocks the great abyss. And out of the great abyss comes these locusts. And here they are and their mission is to inflict pain on men, to torment them. And here they are, and here's their description of their teeth and of their breastplate and the sound as they come, of their rumble as they come. John sees all of that. Verse 11. They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek his name Apollyon. In verse 11, we're introduced to their leader. Again, I believe this is Satan. I believe he is the fallen star of the first verse. He is the king of these demons. It says here his name is Abaddon in Hebrew and Apollyon in Greek. Now, I think it's very profound, very meaningful that John records it in two languages. These names, this name, these two names, they actually mean I destroy. His name is I Destroy, or it could mean the Destroyer. His name is the Dest Destroyer. So it is recorded in two languages, so all will know his name. They will hear of his destruction. Now, I thought about that for just a second. I thought about all that he has destroyed. Until this point, all that he has already destroyed. He has destroyed homes. He has destroyed relationships. He has laid waste to marriages. He's left kids without their parents. He has destroyed lives. He has stolen hopes. He has crushed dreams. 
He has presided over the destruction of wars. He has laughed at the hurt of graves. He has inspired hatred in the hearts and the hands of men. Oh, the things that he has destroyed. And just like that, the fifth trumpet, the terrible fifth trumpet is passed. In verse 12, there is another warning. The worst is yet ahead. Verse 12, the first woe is passed. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. The worst is still ahead. The sixth trumpet begins in verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Verse 14. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Here in, the, in verse 14, we find that there are four angels that are bound, have been bound, at the great river Euphrates. Now we know that these are angels. Now we know that they are specific. It is these four specific angels. And the fact that they are bound means that they are yet four more demons. And so understand these bound angels. These are fallen angels. These also are demons. And the four angels, verse 15, who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. Verse 16. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. John sees the armies in verse 16 of this destruction. He tells us the number of the army is 200 million. Now, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like we, he knew we would say, well, you can't count 200 million. You can't look from your vantage point and count 200 million. And so he says, unless you say that I can't count them, that is the number that was told to me. I was told of that number. It is 200 million. Here, like other places, there are those who try to speculate and try to identify these armies. Uh, there are some, and they say, well, this number, 200 million, is so vast that it must be modern-day China. And there are folks that will say, this is an army from China. There's others that say, well, even a 200 million person army is greater than China could muster. And so they say, this is China and India somehow uh, tied together, coming together. Uh, others say that it is, again, symbolic, that it is some other nation uh, that is symbolic, and they try to figure that out. I believe these are, again, demonic warriors. I do not believe this is an army of a specific nation. I believe they are demonic warriors, and I believe a couple things. I believe the number of them forces me to think that. Also, the demonic leaders uh, point to that. Uh, also, the description of their horses, I believe, also points to that. Verse 16. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Going to verse 17. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses of those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and hastened and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. I'm going to jump down to verse 19. For the power of the horses is in their mouths 
and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. In verse 19, even the tails can harm you. All right, go back up to verse 18. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. I was reading in one commentary, and this commentator said that this event will be the single highest death count in all of human history. And I started to think about that. He goes on to explain that because of the population growth, even the flood would not have killed as many as this event. And so death and destruction are unleashed. They are carried out, and potentially it's the greatest death count in all of human history. I think when we read that, we lose that. And I, I think we read that and we say, that sounds unimaginable, that sounds terrible, but I think we lose that. And I believe the reason is we honestly can't even imagine that. Utter destruction, death, and pain has been unleashed. Satan and his demons are on a rampage of suffering and torment and now death. And I don't, I don't think we can really even imagine that. But I want you to think about this. Did you know as we read that right now, that is the word of God? Did you know that's the truth of God? And I had to think about that for a second. I, I read that and go, that sounds, that sounds wild. That doesn't sound, really, it doesn't sound right. At all. I can't understand that. And as I thought about that, did you know the same divine author and the same human instrument that wrote the words, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, the same divine author, the same human instrument, recorded and gave us these words. This is the truth of God. This is what God has said. All of that is followed by two of the starkest, if not strangest verses in all of Scripture. And I believe that. I read these next two verses, and they are the starkest and perhaps strangest verses in all of Scripture. Listen to verses 20 and 21. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Those who lived, those who survived, those who had witnessed all of that, the Bible says this, they did not repent. They did not turn from the worship of demons, even the demons that had caused such pain. They did not turn from the worship of idols, their false gods of gold and, and, and metal and stick. They did not turn. It says that they're empty, they're fake. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't walk. They didn't turn from their false gods. They did not turn from them. And they did not turn from, listen to these, their murder. It's a word that means violence, hatred, and aggression. They wouldn't turn from their violence. They wouldn't turn from their hatred and their murder. They wouldn't turn away from it. 
and they wouldn't turn from their sorcery. It is the word pharmacon. It means poisons, drugs, and magic. Can you imagine that? Does that sound familiar today? They wouldn't turn away from all their drugs. They wouldn't turn away from their, from their magic potions. They wouldn't turn away from them. It says, in their immorality, the chasing of the perverse, the sexual, the vile, includes pornography. They wouldn't turn from those things. And their thefts, their self-serving, their self-dealing. And it says, even in the midst of all of that, even having seen all of that, that they would not, they did not repent. I want to tell you something right here. And I want to tell you, I just preached through a whole lot of stuff right there. But I preached all of that to get what, I, to what I'm about to say right now. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say. And I want you to listen very carefully. I want to tell you something. The fact that John records that they did not repent. I want you to stay with me. The fact that he records that they did not repent, do not miss it. It means they could have repented. Do you see that? They, for him to say they did not repent, it means they had the option to repent. They could have repented. Listen to me, friend. I want to tell you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you listening to me today? I want to tell you from the murders and the hatred and the strife and the aggression in our hearts and in our hands, from the drugs and the poison and the drunkenness, from the perversion and the pornography, from the selfishness and the self-serving, from the theft, we can repent. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you listening to me? Whatever your sin is, no matter what your sin is, Jesus has paid for your sin. That is the good news of the gospel. He has purchased your redemption. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can turn in repentance. Listen to me. You can return, turn in your repentance to Jesus and claim him as your savior. And he will forgive give you today. He'll restore you today. He'll renew you today. He'll give you his own righteousness to wear and you will be his son or his daughter. You can repent and turn to Jesus. You can repent and turn to Jesus. I want to tell you any message that doesn't include that, it's not the gospel. And any message that would tell you about your sin and not give you a way of, of relief in Jesus is not the gospel. But I want to tell you the gospel of Jesus is this. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter how secret it is. It doesn't matter how well known it is. If you turn to Jesus, he will forgive you. He will save you. That is the gospel. These people, they would not. They continued in their sin. They wouldn't set it down. They continued in their sin. And their record records. And they did not repent. What will your record say? God's grace is offered to you. What will your record say? I want mine to say this. Toby, dumb, stubborn, frequently messed up, 
prideful, selfish, knew better, gladly repented. Gladly repented. How much is enough? How much is enough? You know, his grace is offered to you right now. How much is enough? Let it be said of you in the stew and the turmoil of sin, gladly repented. Jesus, you can have it. Jesus, you can have it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we tell you, you are a gracious Savior. And I don't know how we work through these verses of your great judgment. We can't help but come back to your tremendous grace. That is who you are, and that is your message, and that is your truth. Lord, I'm thankful that you, you give us the warning. You give us the call to be urgent. You call us out of our sin, and then you always give us a chance to repent. Lord, I pray for those that are hearing today. I pray as we exist as sinners. I pray that we are clear our only hope is in a risen, resurrected Savior, the Lamb of God, who came and carried my sin, our sin, and paid for it on the cross of Calvary. I pray, Lord, that we understand that in Him alone, in His finished work, in His death, burial, and resurrection, there is peace with you, the forgiveness of sin. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be so in love with our sin. We wouldn't be so hard-headed. We wouldn't say enough is enough and turn to you and gladly repent. Lord, I pray that's the fruit of this message. Lord, I pray for some that are hearing right now and their hearts are, are burning, they're hurting over the terribleness of their sin. I pray, Lord, that they would gladly repent and turn to you, set their sin down and trust you as their Savior. Lord, I pray for us that have done that. I pray that there's a renewed joy over your grace and there's a renewed urgency to tell others of your grace. Lord, we tell you we love you, we, we praise you, and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to, I want to tell you, I say it every single week, the, the great thing about God's word is this. He's trying to tell us about his son. He's revealing to us our Savior, Jesus, and his grace stands and the preaching of the gospel. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you, if you'll trust him, if you'll turn to him in repentance, he'll forgive you right now. Not about church memberships, not some checklist that you have to go through. We're not going to have an interview process. Listen, if you'll trust Jesus right now, he'll save you right now. If you've never done that, you come. Let's settle it. You need more information, let me show you what God's word says. Let's settle it right now. If you're here and you've made that decision, but you've never fallen believer's baptism, you come, and it'll be a great testimony celebrating what we believe of our Savior, Jesus. You come. We'll set a day. It'll be a great day. If you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here, you come, and together we'll unite and we'll serve His name, upholding His truth until He comes back for us. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with something altogether different. I'm going to tell you, nothing is too small for Him. Nothing is too great. And His grace is offered in all those things as well. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray here. Maybe you want to come pray with me here at the front. Whatever your decision is, we're going to stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, if He's speaking to you, if you need more information, you come and I'll meet you here. So we stand and sing. You come on and I'll meet you here. <laughs>